Hello, welcome to Screen Jam, episode two, in which our hero, me, Baz Hilton, talks to comedian Tom Allen about The Bodyguard. He'd never seen the film. I kind of forced him to watch it on a car journey. The film came out in 1992, stars the late, great Whitney Houston as international pop star Rachel Maron, and Kevin Costner as... Secret Service agent come celebrity minder, Frank Farmer. Anyway, they fall in love, some shit goes down, some of which we talk about here. There's also an absolutely brilliant cover at the end by the amazing Miss Frisky, who is a cabaret superstar, sings around the world to rapturous applause. You may have also seen her in the hilarious musical comedy duo Frisky and Manish, who I intend to have on the podcast at a future date. I'll tell you a little bit about Tom Allen. He's a comedian, actor, writer, very, very funny man. He's won the So You Think You're Funny Award, the BBC New Comedy Award. He's touring the world with Sarah Millican. That's kind of how we know each other. I'm on that tour as well. Not as a performer. I'm just... Uh, just drive the car, really. Book the hotels. Get the Nando's when necessary. But yeah, he's great. I love him. Please tell your friends about the podcast if you like it. Subscribe to it on iTunes. Try and do them as often as I can. Follow us on Twitter, Screen Jam Pod. Facebook, Screen Jam. Say hello to me, Pure Hilton, on Twitter. And if you are interested in contributing a song to the podcast, that would be great. As long as it's from the soundtrack of a movie all entries will be considered it takes a lot of effort to put this together so any any help would be greatly appreciated anyway enough intro time for the chat show i'm joined by tom allen oh hello barry this is so exciting thank you very much for having me i'm thrilled that you are in my room i should add that we are where are we? We're in Belfast. We are we're in, in a hotel. Belfast, yes. In a hotel in the middle of the night. We just checked in, especially for this. <laughs> it's a very expensive podcast, this, please. Very Please support <laughs> us. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely subscribe. Um, no, and I'm very excited. We had a lovely time watching this film. Yeah, you'd not seen The Bodyguard before, had you? Never, never. I remember my mum going with um, Auntie Christine watch it because I think they both had crushes on Kevin Costner and he was a dreamboat back in the day back in the day there was no substitute for him and uh and I think yeah there was a still I think to this day there's a an ongoing crush on him what's he been in lately doesn't need to do anything he was now, Superman's love. dad wasn't he in the Is new Superman now? yeah <gasps> he's oh. old enough now that he he's like a gray stubbled flannel shirted Superman dad Clark Kent dad man uh, I mean, in this, he is really fit, but... I tell prime. You what, hmm? He was in his prime. He, but how old was he? He was in that time when I think um, men could be older in films. And they were still like... It was still that era when people were like, oh, men, aren't they great? They can just be old. Yeah. And now we don't really have that It was much. 1992 when so The Bodyguard was released. I reckon he must have been like... I reckon he might have been about 40 when he did it. Don't you? He, he might not have been that. What I'll do, I do this thing where if I don't know something, because I've, 
doing we have a team of researchers but Obviously. they don't they don't work at this Obviously. time of night how so how can you get people at this time of night what i'll have them do is google this and then i'll drop in oh. with how old kevin you was drop that in now Kevin was born in 1955, he's 61 now, and he was about 37 when the bodyguard came out. There you go. Barry, how did you do that? <laughs> that was amazing. Pretty incredible, right? Yeah, I had no idea. That's how... You can travel through time. Wow, I'm impressed. I'm so impressed. So, yeah, so he was he was older. He also, Kevin Costner, has quite... Um, and it sounds a very unkind thing to say, but he does have quite crooked teeth. Did you notice that? Well, this was back before all of your internet Perez Hilton body uh, shaming. Body, yeah, that's true. What am I doing? Yeah. I'm ageist already. Yeah. And I've commented on his teeth, poor man. And you're a child of the... Mm. Ni- well, you're not a child of the 90s, are you? Well, 80s. You I were a child in the 90s. I was. A, yeah, I was definitely a sentient mm. child at this time. Because so. I remember I was born in 85, so I would have mm. been seven in 92 when this came out. I was nine. Yeah. And I remember it being... Everywhere, because of course, this being Screen Jam, we could talk about the music of the film. Of course, I will always love you. Yes, but what was the song? Was <laughs> was that um, was it number one for many a week? Yeah, Christmas number one, I think. And my dad, I remember saying, "Oh, it's a terrible Christmas number one because the drunks coming out of the pub can't sing it because <laughs> of course you can't because it's got that big octave leap. It's got a high note in it, oh. yeah." Is it not maybe more? There's a big and, yeah. and then yeah, it, and then yeah. a key change. Yeah, key change. forget That's it. That's like made. You don't hear that much anymore. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a dying art. Dying art. Dying art. Um, so where shall we where shall we start talking about it? I feel like I've got lots to say. All oh, right. Well, okay. Well, we. I want to identify the main themes of the film thematically. Of course, my, the main one that stuck out for me that's at the top of my list uh-huh. is suspicion. And paranoia, which <laughs> seems to be running it is throughout, like that, isn't it? Like <laughs> often, often based on just an inkling, just a little inkling. Yeah, I mean, I would be like quite paranoid sense. if because I'd never seen it before, um, and it's quite interesting to see the like Hollywood portrayal of Hollywood. Yeah, or like the way that they deem that it's acceptable. The key thing for me is them is this sort of odd thing where. Um, her PR guy controls quite a lot of her life, including her security. Yeah, Gary Kemp. <laughs> Gary Kemp. He is, so he's an English guy, brother of Martin Kemp. They were both in Spando Ballet. Yes, I didn't know this. No relation to Ross Kemp on Gangs. As I assumed. He was also in EastEnders. Yes. The oh, Kemps. The Kemps. They are like a, a crime family. <laughs> yeah. Pervading the Pervading uh, media world. All, all of our things, yeah. But yeah, just as like, Shorthand, they just make him English. It's like anyone who's English in it is a dick. Oh, is a dick in it. It's such a dick in it. Like, so there's him, there's Gary Kemp, who's a dick from the beginning, and you're like, oh yeah, he's English. But he's like the PR man who seems to organize his PR role, seems to be being in charge of all security, dance, clothes, when they leave, and then like performances as well, this PR does. Yeah, he does a lot of well, he's probably. Not getting paid. He's probably he's probably for all of those jobs. <laughs> Anything. He's underselling himself, I think. Yeah. But he is clearly the arsehole. He's the baddie in the piece that we hate from the beginning. Screen jam. Like the whole film seems to be basically her going, Get out of my house, why well, I don't need you and then her going, Oh my god, I need you and then like, You're insane, why are you making me insane? And then he's like and then she's like I need you more than ever. I just need you. And then he's, she's like, no, you've driven me into a mad person. And then she's like, oh, God, you saved my life. She unfairly blames him for a lot of her um, 
anxiety, I think, when he yes. wasn't like he's only been there like five minutes. Yeah. He so he gets he gets brought in by her people. Her people, that mini Gary Kemp. Gary Kemp Sai, he's called in the film. Yes. Yeah, he's so he's so industry. He says things like, She's so hot right now. Oh yeah, he does say that. <laughs> and that whole thing with the bedroom, which was really sinister, when they go for a tour of the house and like yeah, Sai had this bedroom commissioned and it's like this big like gold bedroom. Yeah. And someone broke in and masturbated oh. on the bed. <laughs> I didn't know Sai had the bedroom for um It was for a magazine feature. Oh of course, yeah. Yeah. Did you notice when they were going round the house mm-hmm. there were often a TV or with her music video <laughs> on or her, just her music playing in the background? Oh, she did have her own songs playing quite a lot, yeah. Yeah. She really. So they walk herself. into the into the wanky bedroom and <laughs> and there's a video. Just the video of I have nothing is on. <laughs> As though she might just walk in for a nap and be like, "Oh, yeah. I'd love to watch to this that. again." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they also like. They're recording the video in her house as well, which... Yes, I thought that was weird. really weird. Like, who's queen of the night. Yeah, and they're all doing their dancing there, or all her entourage, who are also her friends. Yeah, um, Sai's directing it. Sai's directing <laughs> it as well. It's so <laughs> shit. It's so rubbish. Just that, like, anybody not in the industry will just buy into, like, oh, yeah, well, he's, like, the manager PR guy. Screen jam, 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 jam. I think Frank Farmer's quite unprofessional because he really starts kicking shit out of her fans yeah, when he he's really leaving kicks the them in the face. Yeah, which I don't know if that is the most effective way to move through a crowd. I think he shouldn't be shagging her. Oh, Farmer, yeah, that was really weird. Like, why is he like? She asks him out for a date. She even calls it a date, and then he's mm. like, "Okay." And he's always got this sense about him, like, "I shouldn't be doing this. I should be." Working with the government, but it doesn't pay as much. It as doesn't this. seem to. It doesn't seem to fit his character actually in a critical kind of way. Yeah, it so doesn't he's fit like, his character. Yeah, he's the most pro bodyguard that you can that money can buy that three thousand pounds. Yeah, a week or whatever can and buy. And when he was like looking for the fire exits, he also would have sussed her out as like a bit of a tricky character. Yeah, and not one to get seduced by. Yeah, <laughs> not one to go on a date with even. Yeah, and the yeah first date. Yeah. They're First out. date, yeah. So then they go on the date, and then they have like he has a beer. Is he off? Is he on duty or off duty at this point? Again, I don't think he would be able to switch off duty so quickly. She's in the public. Like this is the most vulnerable she's been all film up to this. Yeah, point. apparently it's fine though to go to like Ditsy's Diner down the road. Yeah, and get pissed, <laughs> get pissed, and have a bit of a dance to some old western track. Yeah, and then they're straight back to the flat. Straight back to his house. Samurai sword gets his sword out. out. <laughs> What else do they do? They go down to the basement like immediately. Yeah. Going on a tour. Which he hasn't unpacked because he's yeah. too busy saving lives. He's established as a, a badass from the first scene. Like, so we yeah. know he's the best. He's the best. He's the best. And then, so the first scene is him killing a guy, shoots a guy in a car park. The second it. scene, he's with Ponytail, turning yeah. down. Turning down the work because he's down so the troubled. Because he's so, and then third scene, he's getting hired by a pop star. Fourth scene, he's sleeping with her. And he's like, yeah, yeah, basically, throws a few knives into the post. That's a weird skill for a bodyguard to need. Is he carrying those knives around? Is he taking people out from a distance? Probably. He's probably had to do that before. For Isn't it senators he has to do it for a lot? What, or knife throwing? <laughs> no, the bodyguarding when we see him. Yeah, no, he's normally working for um, Reagan. Oh, uh, well, that's what I was going to say. Classic script writing thing of like, 
who's this guy? He's he's like deep. He's got some troubles. Why is he so driven to be the best? What keeps him going? It's like, it's because he wasn't there on the day that Reagan got shot. The day of his mother's funeral, he missed bodyguarding Ronald Reagan. And that's the day that Ronald Reagan was shot. Like, it's always like, oh, that Reagan. Reagan was a long time ago. <laughs> I suppose that explains why he would have this lapse in professionalism and Roger Whitney. What? Because... because <laughs> Roger Whitney sounds like something he would say into his um, radio. <laughs> this is the stranger. He's got such an ego. And he's like, I wish I was more like him in this way because he does. Like when people ask him a question, he just answers it and then walks off. Whereas I'd be like, hello, all right, no, how's things? He yeah, does a thing. great thing. He does a great thing whenever he's. So there's two great scenes where he just answers things and walks off. The first one is when he's at the music video shoot and he. He's basically talked his way past security. Yeah. Got oh, right yeah. into the thing and he decides he doesn't want the job. And he's like, yeah. fuck you to them is to put some orange juice on top of the monitor. <laughs> oh. Like, it's just such a weird thing that I picked up. Or maybe because um, I know how dangerous it is to put liquids As near it. Or taught, surely. But that's like, so he's just like. Orange juice walks out, nothing else said. And then they have to chase him out and try and book him. And, and that's when he gets his £3,000 a week. Yeah, £3,000 a week. Or three, is, it three, is it in pounds or is it in dollars? I don't know. But the second <laughs> arrogant did thing... You, did, it, you, did you do a conversion? It was actually $2,200. The, the second time he does it is after the nightclub incident. Oh, does he demand... Does he Tony, Tony comes home and oh. is murderously angry... With oh yeah, Kev Tony the, for Tony saving, the bodyguard for saving Rachel's life. Yeah, because he's been done out of his job. I mean, again, like it's really on the nose, like fat egotist. Like that's how the original bodyguard lazy, always eating food. He's always got like yeah. a bit of food in front of him. But then, he he beats him up nonchalantly. Doesn't even look at him. Oh, farmer does. Yeah, he and then he says. I don't want to talk about this again after not uttering a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so such cool. a good. That's such a good line. That's such a good scene. By the way, all of the major violent scenes seem to happen in kitchens. There's so many cliches of like all. All that seems to happen is like he's constantly like throwing people into like like pans <laughs> that so perfectly clang together. <laughs> they make a lot of good noise. Oh, what the one thing I really want to talk about. Oh yeah, this is. I always feel like this was an Easter egg put there by some humorous editor. <laughs> Which bit? This is, so Whitney, Rachel, mm, yeah. has a sister called Nikki. Now, I'm fascinated with Nikki. Go on. Nikki, who we, we kind of first properly meet, she's just having a dance in the dance studio. Yeah, she's just dancing. She's having a dance. She's just having a dance. Which is not, I don't know anyone who just has a dance. So I was really pleased by that scene. That was ridiculous. Where she just like, yeah, goes, <laughs> locks herself into one of the like rooms and then just dances on her own <laughs> for a bit. It's got lovely, like one lovely picture of when she used to be successful. It used to be the main yeah, sister. when she was the main so one. So what I want to talk about is, yeah. is the jealousy. So it's established quite early on that Nikki... Mm has a thing for Kev. Mm -hmm. And she quickly, in a deft <laughs> act of exposition, <laughs> explains how Whitney took over as Rachel. best sister. Yeah. And... Uh, what is the explanation? It's just like, she was just... She's just like, stage. we used to be in a little family band, and then it turned out that Rachel had, like, super pipes, and then <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. And she became the main one. She became the megastar. So Nikki gets left in the silence. So she, understandably, 
Yeah. And we all know this because of the great script is jealous. Is a jealous. Yeah. She's jealous. And now, that's why she's always peering out of windows. She's always peering <laughs> out of windows, scowling. <laughs> yeah. But the thing Ooh. I notice, which I love, oh. is whenever she is jealous, mm. whenever she does jealous face, <laughs> yeah. they they cut to <laughs> a dog. <laughs> right. And what like please watch this film back because <laughs> you will this will just make your day. <laughs> Whenever she's jealous, like yeah. she's got a Saint Bernard big yeah. dog. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like the personification of her envy. <laughs> <laughs> but even with a small dog this happens when they go to the lodge by the way. Yeah, lake. so later on they go to the lodge and they don't take the Saint Bernard. No, it's but it's then replaced with it. It's too, too big. big. Yeah, they're not worried about the St. Bernard. They're not very St. Bernard, as I think they have people to look at. They'd have people, more people that we don't, characters we don't meet in the in the story <laughs> who aren't vetted. Yeah. Um, Maybe Cy's looking after it. Cy probably looks after the St. Bernard, probably. He's probably quite nice when he's not, like, trying to dominate <laughs> a dance rehearsal. He's a real dog guy. He's a real dog guy. He's really good with dogs when he's not. The PR man who also directs dance rehearsals, <laughs> dance videos, I should say. Um, but then, then they go to the lodge, and then there's a small dog who's good at making noises, and everybody's like having the happiest time. Yeah, and he. But even then. But even then, so the editor, I, I sure, I'm going to find out his name and tell you it now. Okay, so there were two editors on this film. They were called Don Camburn and Richard A. Harris. Richard A. Harris has edited. Films such as Titanic, Terminator 2, and Don Camburn is best known for comedies such as Ghostbusters 2, The Andy Griffith Show. I'm guessing it was him who was responsible for this dog thing. Like, anytime she's jealous, dog. 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 Um, up until, but, up until. Yeah. She makes her move on Kev in the, in the dining room oh, at the lodge. Against the then, yeah. when, that's when she's like, I love you, Kev. No dog. The thing I would say about the sister, right? Right. Okay. She, good. I'm a bit okay. So I've got quite a lot of questions about the sister. Um, like, okay, so we're like, who is this person trying to kill Rachel? Why would anyone want to, want to kill her? She's so successful. Then when we find out that actually Rachel is not being threatened from an outsider, it's her sister who's taking out a hit on her. What the fuck? That was a big WTF. twist. WTF. Huge twist. I knew it would be from somebody from the inside. We're going to need a bigger dog. We are <laughs> going to need a massive dog for that twist. So, big deal. But then, it all sort of crumbles. Like, she's had, like, a few glasses of the old Canadian club whiskey. Kev goes in to say hello and say, like, what, what are you doing? Are you all right? She says, I don't remember the name of the bar. I was very stoned. <laughs> she's, like, gone into a bar in, like, East Hollywood, she says, or East Los Angeles. She said, and he's like, what bar? What bar was it? And she's like, I don't remember the name of the bar. I was very stoned. But as far as I knew, I thought getting stoned made you just really relaxed and sort of sleepy and a bit laughy. I've never heard of somebody being like, so I got a bit stoned. And then I decided I was going to have my sister murdered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a big jump. And what is the reason for her wanting to have her murdered? Just dog jealousy. Just a bit of dog jealousy. Like that's it, isn't it? It seems, uh, but all she's jealous of her career. She's Great. jealous of her bodyguard, who she's sleeping with. That they keep, they cannot keep secret. They cannot keep secret. Immediately, everybody knows yeah. about it. It's like she did a tweet from the it's bed. Like she tweeted from the bed whilst the sheets were were very delicately placed around her boobs. That's such a cool PG thirteen. Yeah, thing. Good move. Good move, filmmakers. She now wants to back out 
but she can't because it's an anonymous hit. But she's taken out with somebody who she doesn't even have a contact for. Yeah. Like someone called Alfonso or something. Yeah, so there's no like... So she stumbled in like <laughs> like stoned out of her face, probably really hungry. Can I have an irreversible... I, just, <laughs> I want an irreversible death hit contract. <laughs> Does anybody know anybody? Oh, Alfonso's uh, sort you out. And For an extra $20, <laughs> I'll give you my phone number. And if you need to cancel the hit, you can cancel. No, I don't want that. I got $20. I haven't got $20. And then to really stick the knife in, the hitman is Kev's nemesis. Is Kev's nemesis, who arrived at the party. And he's like, what are you doing here? He's like, mm, the governor or something. He's like protecting the governor or something. Yeah, so he's legit. Is it? No. He mustn't be legit at that party. This has just dawned on me. He's just He's a, at the party because he's, he's doing a recce. He's doing a recce on her. And then uh, he does a recce on her. Right, because then... Boom. Because then she's, like, flirting with him and they go off into the bedroom, like, within, like, two sentences. She doesn't mess around. She does not mess around, but then she says no. And he's a bit pushy, and so we know that he's not a good person. Yeah. But whilst that is happening... Uh, Kev gets chatted up by this like proper 80s woman who's like got this like big updo and these like massive emerald earrings, like huge earrings, like they would rip your ears off your head. If if I may, I want to reenact that line. Yes, please do. An 80s woman enters. 80s woman, yeah. I've been watching you from across the room. Oh, that's it. Why don't you just go back over there? That's it. So harsh. Burn. Yeah, she's just trying to be nice. It's just a party. Like that was really like that that's the kind of thing that would really ruin your week. Yeah, I would cry if somebody said that to me. Yeah. I would be devastated. The sad face emoji to my Bezzy. But that's when he's like getting really frustrated. That's when he goes down to the kitchen there. Do you remember that? He gets violent in kitchens. As Maybe that's know, his trigger. Was Reagan violent. killed in a kitchen? Clearly, there was some sort of kitchen mention in that. He goes down to the kitchens to see if the exit way has been kept clear, and they haven't. They put all these crates there, kitchen crates, that he then kicks over. Nice breakable crates. The most breakable crates I've ever seen. Also, not crates of it. They're like wooden crates from Victorian times. Is he red as crates? And then there's like fat man smoking in the corner, and he's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, why don't you fuck off? And then he, I think, is overly belligerent in that situation. Who is? This kitchen staff man. Yeah. Oh, he's like the husband of the dishwasher. Of, he's the husband of like the chambermaid who comes down. Yeah. My husband, my husband. So he, really? he like, man in suit from the hotel comes and says, why are you smoking the kitchen? Like, yeah. He's already, he's in the Flouting the rules. And then instead of going, oh, oh shit, sorry, mate. He goes, who's asking you fucking dick? Like, gets <laughs> angry at him. Gets really eggy with him. And then... That that pushes one of Kev's buttons. Yeah, Kev does not like to be spoken to like that. And Kev's like, okay then, well, I'll just punch the shit out of you. Oh, by the way, there's loads of great noisy pots here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, tsh, tsh. everything's great. And like shelves go over. Oh, it's like perfect. Listen, this is Screen Jam. So let's talk about the Oscars. Oh, again, like, what a terrible version of something that's actually real. <laughs> Why is there someone there singing the song that she's been nominated for Best Actress for singing? That did not make any sense to me at all. When Who is that woman? also there. Yeah, and then she's, like, she's doing, like, a piss-poor job of it, to be honest, and I was just thinking, to Witters. Yeah, because no one can compare. Um... And I just thought, oh, is, is, have they said it in a, like a 
somebody to do it for her, like some sort of double to so that Whitney's safe. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I think... No. Okay, so here's what I think. The song is from a film. Like, so within the film, which has songs in, <laughs> there is a film in which Rachel Maron has starred <laughs> as a pop star who has sang a song in a film. Many layers. A many layered cake. And so she's there for best song. Actress. Best actress. Ac- best actress. So... I mean, she's clearly not a very good actress, by the way. The clips we see of the film, we're like, what? And when was the last time a Best Actress was in a musical? Yeah. Do you remember the last time a Best Actress was in a musical? I don't. Maybe it wasn't a musical. Not enough is told about us about this film. This film is like, is it, is it called Queen of the Night? I yeah. think it's called I Have Nothing. Are you sure? The film, yeah. I'll confirm this now. Oh, I feel like an idiot. The film's called Queen of the Night. Yeah. It's a weird cameo by Everybody Loves Raymond's mum. Yes, good call. I spotted that. I had to uh, look that up, but I was... The audience at the Oscars is my favourite bit, by the way. What are they like? They are just like really like uptight. <laughs> They're like really uptight 80s people. They're just all 80s. They're really 80s like... And there's a bit where... <laughs> it's so happy. When... So, if we jump, are we jumping to the end? Can we jump to the end for a moment? Yeah, sure thing. Where Kev, for no real reason, except for like suspecting something bad's going to happen, drives her mad. She's like, oh, everybody's mad. You've driven, you made me insane. Then he sees what's going to happen. He jumps in front of her. He gets shot. But while he's being shot, he pulls his gun out and he shoots the shooter. Great shot. Great shot. But then the blood spatters off. And there's just this woman <laughs> in this really like classic 80s way. This woman just stood there in a white... <laughs> shoulder padded um like suit dress thing um and then she's got like a massive like boofy perm <laughs> and she's just stood there for a moment and then the gun fires at the shooter shoots him and then the blood splatters straight all over like all over like someone oh. was there, like as though i mean thank god i've never witnessed a shooting but i don't suppose what happens if you're standing next to a shooting is like you basically get a bucket of blood just like splattered all <laughs> over your like inconveniently really white, cheap effect. white dress. And all she does is just like go, ah, as soon as it happens in this really hammy way and then just like runs off screaming. There's another great little cliche there where someone screams, he's got a gun. <laughs> yeah, I forgot that. So good. So good. He's got to go. The Oscars clearly are made in a really shit way, according to this film. I need to look back at the Oscars footage from around that time, early 90s, to see if it was shit then. Well, there's there's literally a parody of it in The Naked Gun. Um, I think it's two and a half, but it might be three. Um, okay, further watching, listeners. Fur- Naked further Gun. watching. Um, but uh, there's this whole sense, like the producer, again, like one person manages like the whole thing. <laughs> One person with a clipboard is like, I'm the producer. Like, we need to get this thing on the road. Um, and then he comes in. He's like, we need to get on stage now. If you don't take your seat now, you will not be in your seat if you win for the best for the best actress nominee. Nominations yeah. announcement. And and he's like, I don't see why you need to be here. He says to Kevin, I don't see why you need to be here. We've got our own man on the door. It to be honest, be like I think the security at the Oscars would be way, way higher than that. Yeah, that's what I mean. That, that's yeah. what I mean. Like, they wouldn't be just like, we've got our own man on the door. Like, they've just got a bouncer. Yeah. And why is nobody else worried about security? Yeah. Again, there must be bigger like, movie stars there than her. Yeah. 
She's just done like a musical, which has bizarrely been nominated for Best Actor. <laughs> She's got the the tracking brooch in her hand. She's now like, that yeah. tracking brooch. What's that all about? Where she can just press it if she gets stressed. Yeah, I don't know, it just pages him. Like this was well before. Oh, yeah, he's got a pager. <laughs> this was well before <laughs> you could have like find friends on your iPhone. Oh yeah. All that basically does is say now. Now, now. I'm being maybe. Now being good. I don't know what he's supposed to do, but yeah. So, but yeah, I think that's a good scene. But the other one, I think you picked this out, Barry, is where they are referencing the, like the host of the Oscars, who's this like awful hammy, hammy comedian. Oh yeah. And the whole thing is like, and the winner of best sound goes to, and it's like, like no one's paying any attention to best sound. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah, <laughs> it's very important. Very important, Barry would say. And then, and then they win it, and then he makes these really sexist comments afterwards. This is yeah. I wanted to talk about sexism in the film. Oh, I think there's I plenty think of room to talk about that in this film. That is quite a sexist moment, and like yeah, because he says like. I wish all the sound coils looked like that. I'd let her do my sound anytime. <laughs> oh, bada boom, bada bing. He yeah. says something like, oh, God. I bet, yeah, she was the boom, bada bing operator. Yeah. Oh, oh, so oh, mate. So awful. What do you think? So women are portrayed well in this film, or do you think it's a bit cliche? She's the one who needs saving. Yeah, I think it's really cliche. Like, there's no... I, I don't know. I mean, that would be my opinion, I feel like. he She's... She's portrayed as needing saving. She needs a man. At the same time, like she's surrounded by men who are letting her down, I suppose. But ultimately, mm. the main villain in the film is her sister. <laughs> so yeah. Again, it's not a very positive message. That's unusual, though. I think that's yeah. Not often we have a a female yeah bad guy. I mean, the majority of the cast are men. Yes. And then. I think I'm right in saying there's only two women in it, plus the 80s woman who tries to seduce him at the party. And yeah, and <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And everybody loves Raymond's mum. Who and, makes one scene. And the oracle from The Matrix. And the that's lady it. who opens the door. Yeah, that's it. Size single-handedly running the music industry. <laughs> one man is producing all of the Oscars with his clipboard. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of her entourage, like the the... When she's in the limousine, they're all going to the Oscars. It's all men around her. Mm. Do you think they'll make an all-female remake of it, like Ghostbusters? <laughs> like it's probably, yeah. Just one man. One man, and then it's all... He's surrounded by women, and then... Women bodyguards. And women bodyguards, yeah. I think that's possible. I'd like to see that happen. doesn't need to happen. Well, maybe it does. I w- maybe they should remake every film with, with that. With opposite that gender roles. Opposite gender roles, like the, with Ghostbusters. I think it's not a great representation. And also, she's seen as being... Out of control, whereas he's like, I'm the man. I'm yeah, and she's control. not necessarily being out of control. She's kind of being in charge of her own career, or yeah. trying to be. Yeah. And But that's portrayed to us as, like, she, she needs to be put back in line. Yeah, kind of. Or maybe that she's at the mercy of... She's at the mercy of the stupid men around her, I guess, that like lead her astray. There's one bit where she's, like, she's angry at Kev because he's, like, one night stand at her. And she yeah. just kind of... Turns the blender on, really like. Oh meanly, yeah, like, uh, yeah. She because women can only get their own back in the kitchen. In the kitchen, yeah. That is a that is interesting, isn't it? Very subtle, but very true, Barry. Yeah, mm. very important to bring up. I also think um, that there there is a slight interesting move when they're in the basement. This bizarre basement he's got in his house, where he's got that like Hazarai sword or. Or is that what it's called? Or samurai. Samurai, samurai sword. Um, what's, I was what's a Hazarai sword? It's in Kill Bill. 
Oh, the Hitori Hanzo sword. Okay. The sword. She's like, may I? And she takes it off the wall. And then she's like, then she's sort of like sticking it into him. Is that sort of a phallic symbolism? Oh, maybe. It's a pretty tense scene, that. Very tense. And then he throws the silk up into the air. Very interesting. And then it falls down on the sword. Is that, in half. is that her vagina? Do you know what? So all I thought when that scarf went up in the air and it got cut, I just thought, if I was her, I'd be fucking furious. I'd be like, that's Hermes. <laughs> <laughs> How much that scarf cost? That must cost more yeah, than... More than his week's wages. Yeah, and which is already a lot. But what the fuck have you done to my scarf, you prick? Screen Jam. I think he should have died at the end. I think that would have really taught her a lesson. <laughs> if he because you know because his whole his, his whole mo is you can't be too careful Rachel, but yeah I thought he died like he got shot in the heart basically mm. there was no need for him to come back I think it would have been an absolute tearjerker yeah like oh my god that was so sad film but I've learned a lesson because Nikki the sister God rest her soul God rest her soul she's she's gone and that's like a bit of a big deal but no one ever really mentions it again yeah so she's dead. And like, can you imagine like Fletcher like dealing with that? Like, do you remember that time we went down to the lake and then you got in a boat and then we had to drag you out of it because it exploded and then we hid in the lounge when you when your aunt got shot. Like, it's not a no, it's not like an ordinary thing to say to a child, but it's never mentioned again. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been. Some time has passed. Yeah, yeah, some time has passed and he's like fine with it. It's fine. I just got on the private jet with my mum. Yeah, like, there's no fine. like sense of like. Let's get him a new boat. Let's get him a new boat. It'll be all right. Don't worry about it. Forget about it tomorrow. <laughs> and then, but then, so he goes back to like protecting congressmen, mm. and then he's behind the priest. This is what I'm going to talk about the symbolism of that um, cross thing that she holds. Oh, yeah. Is there this sort of subliminal Christian message of like, you turn to the cross for help? I wonder, is Kev an angel? Yeah. Sorry, I just had a crisp when you said that. Where did you get a crisp from? From the plate. Oh, oh, I have crisps too. Um, um, yeah, Kev is is Kev God at the end. The, oh the priest doing being a, a patriarchal role. The, the priest doing his little speech about how God is everywhere, and he describes Does God the using room? the exact same adjectives you could use to describe Frank is that, Farmer. That because it is oh, and he's called Frank, which is the name of Frank Drebin in Naked Gun. Also, the name um, of the Pope, Papa Francesco. At that time, no, the new Pope. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Um, the, oh, is that what that's about? Because I just thought, like, it's almost on one level. That ending is, like, going, he's just gone back to his old job. Oh. But it zooms in on him. Over the shoulder, yeah. Over, it's a proper slow zoom while he kind of lists the qualities of God. Oh, my goodness, yes. You should check it out. It's a very nice ending. It is a nice ending, that. that but bit. I also would have accepted his funeral with the same... Monologue. But I thought, is there like a cross thing that like, because I think the priest has a cross around his neck. Oh, because the priest's got the, the tracking brooch. He's got the tracking brooch. Right. He doesn't need it, does he? Everyone needs it. Everyone everyone needs a Kev, tracking brooch. we've established, has lost his nerve and is often just having sex in a basement somewhere. I don't know what to take away from the film. Apart from you can't be too careful. And that Kevin Costner was fit. Which is no way fit. to live. Kevin Costner was quite fit. He was in his prime then. Even with his crooked teeth. Mm. And it teaches you that when someone asks you a question, it's okay just to sort of walk off. Yeah. 
be a bit surly. Well, People fancy you if you're a bit surly. Let's all start doing that. Let's make now. that our mission. What would you give the film out of five? You're a, a virgin bodyguard watcher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say because seen as a piece of like what it is, for, seen for what it is, it's quite a good example of that. It's like going to see a horror film. Like, does it scare you in the right ways? Like, this sort of thrills you and romances you in kind of all the right ways, in quite an obvious way at times. But I would say a three and a half. Three and three, a half? Three, maybe three. Three, okay. I think a lot of the messages we've uncovered have brought it down quite considerably. And if you were to have a snack whilst watching oh, good the film, what would that be? A uh, cheese and ham toasty. A cheese and ham toasty. Thank you so much okay, for thank you so coming much. and talking to me in this hotel room. Oh my God, I had such a lovely time watching the film and then talking about it with you. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. Um, you are a comedian. I am. And you are going on tour, right? Yes, I am. And I would love it if people came. When, when are um, you going on tour? Well, I'm going to Edinburgh in August and then I'm on tour with my friend Susie Ruffle. We're doing uh, both of our shows back to back in a little tour around the UK in the autumn and uh, details of that are available at tomindeed.com forward slash shows and you are Tom Allen Comedy on Twitter on Tom Twitter. Allen Comedy yeah and on Facebook if you just type in Tom Allen it's actually t- I'm actually Tom Allen dot 900 well there you go type if you want but, yeah but I think you're I think you're typing in your name and then comedian they'll type find in my you. name into Google it should come up with my website and all things lead out of there Great. Well, I'm a big fan. Thank I think, you, Barry. I think you're great. Thank you for having me. And thanks for coming and talking about oh, the bodyguard with me. a fun time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. There we go. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking to Tom about that movie. We could have gone on for hours. We had a little break in the middle to eat a ham and cheese toasty, but I edited that out because I didn't think it made for interesting listening. I think it's also worth mentioning that Tom and his friend Susie, who you mentioned there, also have a podcast called Like-Minded Friends, which is very, very funny. It kind of addresses queer culture and all of that. I'm an unqueer person, and I still find it very listenable. So check that out. So here comes the cover. Miss Frisky, Frisky Laura on Twitter, if you want to check her out, is my housemate and wife. And she was getting ready to go to Glastonbury to perform and needed a opening track for her show, Frisky's Fierce Friends, which she was hosting on the Sensation Seeker stage. And I think she'd been wanting to do something with Queen of the Night for quite a long time. And then I was rabbiting on about the bodyguard because I'd done this podcast. And one thing led to another. And we ended up in the shed, which is where my recording studio is. And we started messing around with the Mystique song, Scandalous, which was a lot of fun. And then there's like another bit from another song called Queen of the Night, which is from an opera called The Magic Flute. We put that in there. There is a little bit of Rhythm of the Night. It's an absolute mashup. And I also borrowed a little bit of music from amazing dubstep producers, Death Plays. Uh, You might spot their song, Bloody Mary. In there as a little sample. I did a little bit of guitar work on there. A little bit rusty, actually. It took me a while. But, yeah, I think it came out absolutely stupid. And I love it. So, I'll not keep you waiting any longer. Here's Miss Frisky with Queen of the Night. 
so, so, so scandalous. Well, I've got questions about who is the actual baddie in all of it. Fame. 
is the baddie. Mm, good answer. This is the Screen Jam Podcast. 